Y'all having a good week at camp? Well, I sure hope you're having a good week of camp. Some of you are wondering what he means by that. Is he saying he hopes they're going to have a good week of camp because he's not sure he desires them to have a good week of camp, but there's some uncertainty? Or is it, I know this camp, I know the counselors, I know the Lord Jesus Christ, so I already had hope you're going to have a great week of camp. Now, which is it? I am not going to tell you what I'm thinking. But it does remind you of the definitions of earthly hope and biblical hope. We looked at Romans chapter 4, and I want you to turn there this morning as we have a short time in God's Word just to be encouraged by it. And I want to remind you of what we read earlier this week from Romans chapter 4, because I think this is one of the best illustrations of biblical hope in the scriptures that just kind of brings out that word and lets us like look at it and think about it. Although, once you begin to recognize these principles of it can be during a difficult time that we still have hope, and but when we have that hope, it's in confidence in what God's going to do in his promises. It's It doesn't originate with our desires. It originates with His desire and His promises. Because if it originates with my desire, then I hope something's going to happen. It's going to be earthly hope. But when it originates with God's desires, this is what I want to happen, and so I'm going to promise it so that it will happen, that we can look at those things in biblical hope and and just have such confidence. When you understand those principles, you will see it everywhere you read in Scripture. And, um, and, and it kind of makes it exciting. But here in Romans 4, I think it gives us this great example. Let me read it again. And, uh, and then I want to show you some things in this, in this chapter I think that will be really encouraging to you. So it's Romans 4.18. And it says, Against all hope, that's... Uh, earthly hope. Abraham, in hope, that's biblical hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as if, or just as it had been said to him. See that, see how it originated with God's promise? God told him this is what's going to happen. So he put his hope in that. Uh, verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He looked at at fact and scoffed at the facts because God's promises are bigger. He said he looked at his body as as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was even strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. If you believe that, 
He will credit righteousness to you. And that's in the context of God is big enough to fulfill any of his promises. Which of us deserve righteousness? Not a one. But which of us are given righteousness by God? Are those who believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. He credits his righteousness. He looks over at our account. It's insufficient funds. He says, wow, they need righteousness to get to heaven. They don't have it. So I will take mine and I will credit it to their account. So now that account says paid in full. The credit has been granted to it. Now let me ask a question. Is God really big enough to be able to pull that off for every single one of us? Yeah, he is. This is the reality. So that's, that's what biblical hope is. So we looked at the definition of it. Um, <clears throat> I want to show you uh, today uh, how we can have that biblical hope. I, yesterday I talked about some of the benefits. It strengthens us. It, it gets our mind on eternal values. It does all these good things for us. And I, I kept saying it's a choice. You choose to have biblical hope. Well, how do we get our minds around biblical hope so that we can choose to have it? We need to understand it a little bit better about how God gives us biblical hope and we can accept that if we have faith in Him. And I want to kind of show how that works because let's, let's be honest with each other. When, when people struggle with hope in God the most, I hear this all the time. And, and I've, I've had the opportunity to serve in different ministry capacities in about 23 different countries. And, and, uh, and as you go to all those countries, same big question comes up. How can God be good and a fulfiller of promises if everything is so what? Bad. I mean, you know the question. How can things be so bad if God is good? There's an assumption that because God is good, if he really had the control that he said he had, there wouldn't be anything bad. And, and I want to show you a different way of looking at that. So go with me to the book of Romans in chapter 8. We're still in Romans, just over a few pages, probably one page over. Go to chapter 8 and look at verse 18, where Paul answers some questions about pain and suffering and why God allows it. And I'm going to go one step further. He not only allows it, he's the author of it. And watch this, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings let me just pause right there. Are they having a good day or a bad day? How do you know? Because they're suffering. And when? Is it because of our past sufferings? When are they suffering? Right now, as Paul's writing them, our present sufferings, it's happening. They are having a difficult time. And so Paul is explaining to them, they probably had the very same question, if God is good, why are we suffering? He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In what? Hope. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Now that word hope there, when the one who subjected it to the suffering said, I did that, he said he did that in hope that it would be freed from decay. Is that God desire mixed with uncertainty? Is it God saying, I, I hope this works? No. Or is it biblical hope where he says, I did it in hope, knowing that that's the path to freedom. You see, in order to understand how to have biblical hope, we need to understand how God uses difficulties in our life. Those difficulties that come are often unjust, <clears throat> unfair. That's not to show us who God is. That's to show us who the enemy is. And God allows the enemy to fight his battles. Which means, because Satan exists, you will see injustice. That means it's not fair. It may happen to you, and you are going through something that is not fair to you it shouldn't happen but why is God allowing it because he knows that that is temporary and that those injustices will be made right and if you stand firm through it you will be rewarded in a special way and that's what we're looking at so I want to kind of tear this apart just a little bit look at verse 18 again Look a little deeper at it now. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Is that what it says? Does it say that we're, we're observing the suffering, but, if, but, but it's okay to observe it because at the end we will observe glory of God over there will see it it will be made known to us that's very different than it will be shown in us it's not just that I see his glory over there I see his glory in me because I went through the suffering see he makes it personal he says, it's not even worth the suffering that we're going through. The injustice, as bad as it is. And some of you, you're going through things. There's a girl in our church right now. She's 15 years old. This week, they've asked me for prayer because her mom uh, left the girl's father, went with another guy, moved in with him, he was very abusive and started threatening to kill them. And so one day he got drunk, grabbed this 15-year-old girl by the hair, wouldn't let her lo loose, and said, 
I'm going to start the house on fire and I'm not letting you out till all of you are dead. The mom, to protect the family, shot him nine times and killed him. The police are saying that it was premeditated murder and that she set the fire to destroy the evidence. There's a 15-year-old girl going through that. No 15-year-old girl should have to go through that. None of that is her problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? None of it is her doing. She is going through something she should not have to go through. But what this verse is telling us is when you compare the suffering to what God can do with it, it doesn't even compare. The glory of God is so much bigger than any suffering that somebody could go through. You you understand how God wants to use the suffering to reveal himself in us. So when you're going through that suffering, don't say, why is God making me go through this? Say, whoa, I can't wait to see how God's going to reveal himself through this. That will help you in every struggle you face in life from junior high to retirement, if you will learn that. You've got to have biblical hope saying, I am not blaming God for the evil in this world. I'm I'm seeing that God promises with biblical hope to use the sufferings in this world to reveal His holiness and His grace and His glory in me. I'll be one of his trophies. It's a complete switch on how so many look. So it's to reveal his glory, not just to us, but in us. I want you to know the the extent of the suffering that God is allowing us to go through. Verses 19 to 21, it says, for the creation. What, What did the plants and animals do? They didn't do anything. Satan did it, and then Adam and Eve bit the fruit. Yet the whole earth is under this suffering because of sin all the way down to creation so that we could see the devastation that sin brings. And when you understand just how devastating sin can be, you understand how great his forgiveness is when he says, that's how bad sin is. They disobeyed by eating the wrong fruit. And sin is so bad, look what it did to the earth. So when God says, I forgive you of your sin, and I don't know about you, but I've done much greater sins than eating the wrong fruit. And yet, God forgave me. That's huge. His glory is being revealed in me because I'm forgiven. We need to understand God's love. Still in chapter 8, I want you to go to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. Wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. Did God, the father, even allow his son to suffer unjustly? Yeah. 
The, the Father God sent God the Son who did nothing wrong to suffer. That's not justice. Well, it's not justice for Jesus, but he did it to bring justice so we could be forgiven and things still be just. So that sin could be paid for, but it doesn't have to be on your backs or mine. You see how God used suffering, the suffering of the Son, in order to bring glory, to reveal his forgiveness, how far he'll go to forgive. You see, we've got to understand that not all suffering is bad and will end in bad things, but God will use it for good. He continues, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, let me back up. I, I, I skipped a verse I don't want to. Let me start at verse 31 again. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He reveals in this verse that he gave Jesus Christ for us, but the focus of the verse is still us. So I was doing it for you. And if I, if I was willing to pay the price of sending my son for you, you think I would actually really neglect bringing you with me then? I mean, I paid for you. That's why I, why I let him suffer is because I want you with me. You think I would forget to bring you? He's adding confidence to us of his love. Now, verse 35, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? How many of, that, of the things in that list are good things? Zero. We don't want any of it. But yet those are the things that we allow to separate us from the love of God because we say, well, if God were really good, we wouldn't have these things. Paul says, you got it so backwards. We have those things because of sin, but even those things that Satan is using will not separate you from the love of God. In other words, you can be going through those things while being loved by God. <clears throat> we really need to understand more and more of God's love you realize what's happening here in Romans? Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul did. All right. Was he just giving us a historical lesson on Abraham and how Abraham couldn't bear children? No, that's not what he's doing. He's using an Old Testament example to teach New Testament people some things. What we have here is an Old Testament sermon. Paul has a point he wants to make, and so he says, I know how I'm going to make it. I'm going to go back and use the Old Testament scriptures. I'm going to preach from the Bible, and I'm going to prove a point. And so he goes back, and he takes this example of Abraham, who had been given a promise of God, and then his whole life to 100 years old didn't see it happening. That's waiting a long time. 
And he suffered. His wife suffered. People, they were respected for having children. And then they, Abraham and Sarah, had none. And they hurt over that. And Paul said, now that's a good example. So I want to go back now for a moment. You're going to see why I'm doing this. And I want to look at the sermon that Paul is preaching where we find this illustration about Abraham. Go to back to chapter 4. Verse 18, I've already read it. I'm not going to read it again, but that's, that's where he gives us this illustration of Abraham to teach us something about biblical hope. And he's going to tell us how to have biblical hope. He doesn't just say, Abraham had hope, there it's defined. He's doing it for the same reason I'm doing it, and that is to teach us to have it. So I want to look and see what Paul gives us in order to know how to have that biblical hope. Step one, if you're taking notes in the booklet, how to have spiritual hope or a, a spirit, biblical hope, Number one starts in, in Romans 4.21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The first step to having biblical hope that brings confidence, that brings joy in the middle of suffering, the joy that brings strength in the middle of these difficulties is number one, you have to be saved. If you have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no chance for biblical hope. It starts with trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In fact, if you have biblical hope and you understand what that means without being saved, then that means you fully believe God will fulfill His promises to condemn you. Because He'll do it. He promised He would. That's what hell is for. It starts with salvation. Every one of you needs, before you leave this camp, you need to settle that with God and make sure that if you died, you're going to heaven. Not just so you can escape hell, but so that you can be on that path to living for Him and find this joyful Christian life that He has for you. So that's step one. Make sure that you're saved. Then it goes on. Remember, chapter divisions are something we put, man put in, in order to find verses. But when Paul wrote this, he didn't end with that verse and say, now I'll go to chapter 5. He just kept writing. And as he's writing, he says, step one, you got to know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You've got to believe in Him, in His death, and in His resurrection. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore... Since we have been justified. You see, the assumption is if you want to have biblical hope and you're moving forward, you've done that. You've dealt with salvation since we've been justified through faith. In other words, not by our works. He's reminding them it's not what we've done to be justified. We're justified by faith in Him. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. With God. That's step number two. Live at peace with God. You know what that means? 
means don't live at war with God. How do you live at war with God? Well, God says don't do this, but you want to do it. Or God says, don't do this, and you, or, and God says, don't do this, and you, I want to do it, and, or God says, do this, and you say, I don't want to do that. You're, you're at war with Him. You're at war with Him when He says, I want you to come over here, and, and I want, want you to, to be with me, and, and read my scriptures, and just love me, and you're like, no, nah, I'd rather not deal with that right now. I've got my friends to be with. You see, he wants us to pursue him. Maybe it's the life that, that he has chosen for you. You don't want it. In today's day and age, there are people that are, God made us male and female, and they're not happy with the way God made them, and they think they can just change it. You see, you don't want to be at war with God. You don't want to fight God on what he's made you to be. You want to discover who he's made you to be. And when you discover it, it's beautiful. God did not make a mistake when he made you. Be at peace with God. And then it goes on, step three, it says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. So once you get saved, now you enter into his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is reward that you don't deserve, but Christ paid the price for you to have. That's grace. You enter his grace, and it says, by which you do what? What's it say? Stand. That means to have confidence. That means you're not knocked over. You don't fall over. You stand. Living in biblical hope gives us that confidence where we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Others might say this, but I can stand confidence. Take a stand for what's right. I'm standing in his grace. Now watch this. And we boast in the what all right maybe you're not saying i'm in chapter 5 verse 2 let me read it again through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now are standing and we boast in the hope we boast in the hope of his glory we're like no you i'm standing firm because i have hope I have things I am confident about even though I don't have them yet because I'm living by faith. You see, that's the process to, to have that hope is first we're saved, then we understand the glory that comes from that, and then we put our trust in Him, and then we stand in faith because of Him, and that gives us the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Well, that just turned the tables. No, I'm supposed to blame God for my suffering. Because if there's a good God, nothing bad would happen. Paul says, you got it backwards. That's Satan trying to tell you that. 
we glory in our sufferings. Well, why would we do that? How in the world could sufferings be good? Paul explains, because we know. We know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance will produce character. And character produces what? What's it say? Hope. You want to know how to have hope? It starts with suffering. And having faith in God through that suffering. Letting God use that suffering. to All right, God, if... If injustice is happening to me for no other reason for me than for me to learn to persevere and to not be pushed over by it, to be made stronger by it, to learn what it means to trust in you when everything else is bad, it's worth it for me to go through that. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I wish it happened. It's injustice. It's wrong. It should never happen. But Lord, if you want to use that injustice to teach me to love you more, it's worth it to me. And when you can understand that God wants to use that suffering, allows that suffering to produce character in us that gives us that hope, what happens then? Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. How do we have hope? By putting our trust in Him. And it'll give us that hope. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that this is a hard lesson for some to, to accept. When life is good and our problems are small, it's easy to listen to a lesson like this and say, oh yeah, yeah, if I suffer, I, I'm going to trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. But when we're in the middle of that battle and we don't see righteousness in any direction from the suffering that's coming at us, we see people in sin, in anger, in just being wrong. And we see injustice. It's not fair. It's really hard to see you. But Lord, the theme of this week is to go deeper. We need to look deeper into the situation and say God is doing a whole lot more than that situation. He's trying to teach me to be able to persevere and have character that in any situation can look to you in biblical hope and say, I know my God has this. Because we have the promise of God Almighty, the creator of the universe, that says if we do that, if we have biblical hope, you, Lord, will show your glory, not just to us, but in us. And we ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen.